I wish Happy New Year to all of you. I don't know how many of you made it to midnight to ring in the new year. I did not. I did not get close to that at all. It was no aspiration of mine. I suppose I did make it to midnight somewhere out of the Atlantic Ocean. So, so somewhere it was midnight uh, when I headed off to sleep. I think around the room and really around the world, there are a variety of thoughts that come to mind when we think of a new year. Some of you are perhaps optimistic by nature, and so you're optimistic entering in a new year. Excited for opportunities, perhaps you've already crafted some goals, some desires of what you want to accomplish in this new year. Others of us are perhaps more pessimistic by nature, and maybe you find yourself being more and more pessimistic as the years go by. I think for many, perhaps most of us, based upon some of the shared challenges in our city and around the world in the last couple of years, I think it's harder to be optimistic this new year. In fact, I think there's a great temptation for us to be weighed down and worried as we enter into 2022. But what about those of us who are Christians? How are Christians to think about life in this world? Some people think of Christians as really those who are just blissfully naive. Really, the Christians are disconnected from reality, have no categories to think about difficulty and suffering, so they're these sort of just happy but kind of clueless people in the world. That's what some people think about Christians. Others, I think, see Christians as being just as pessimistic as everyone else in the world with no greater hope or joy than anyone else. This morning we're going to turn to a psalm, to Psalm 27, and there in this psalm, we'll see in the psalmist both fear and confidence, questions and faith that I believe will help us to to think about life and to think about this new year that we face. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 27. You can find Psalm 27, the Bible's near, near you on page 460. Page 460, I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you as we work our way through it this morning. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers, the chapter numbers, we're in chapter 27, Psalm 27. I'll mention the smaller numbers, which are the verse numbers throughout our time. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one. On your way out, there's a table at the back, a stack of Bibles there. Please just take one of those with you as our gift to you today. So Psalm 27. Of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. 
You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Today, as we look at this psalm, we see that we will face many struggles and dangers in this life. But we can live with confident hope in our light and in our salvation. And today, we'll see four aspects of that today. First, we'll see place confidence in the Lord. Second, seek the presence of the Lord. Third, cry out to the Lord. And then fourth, wait on the Lord. So first, place confidence in the Lord in verses 1 through 3. We see at the outset of this psalm that this is a psalm of David. Now, sometimes in the Psalms, we understand, we know the circumstances of the Psalm. We know what's going on and therefore why the psalmist, and in this case, David, says what he says. But in this case, we do not know the details of what's happening. Sometimes it's very helpful to us because then we're not kind of locked into one particular outlook of what's going on, but we can think more generally about the applications of this Psalm. I want to note how David views his relationship with his God. He speaks to the one he calls the Lord. This is Yahweh, the personal covenant name of God. And David describes the Lord as the Lord who is my light. Not simply the light, the Lord who is my salvation, not not only the salvation, the Lord who is my stronghold, not just the stronghold. So the Lord is, in fact, the light. He is the salvation. He is the stronghold. But David has come to know him as his own light, his own salvation, his own stronghold as well. And friends, this is true not only for David, but for all of God's people. But if you're a Christian, this is true for you today as well. The Lord is today your light. The Lord is today your salvation. He is your stronghold. At first, this psalm may sound a bit triumphalistic. Verse 1 may sound a bit over the top. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my light. So therefore, I'm fearless. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. So so I'm never afraid. I'm an overcomer. There are no difficulties in this life for me. Except that's not really what David is saying here. That's not the true tone of this psalm. It is because of who the Lord is, the true light and salvation, and because of what he is, the stronghold of life, that David can say, whom shall I fear or of whom shall I be afraid? But David is not saying that because he knows the Lord that he will never face difficulties. He's not saying that God's people do not face danger or pain in this life. He's not saying that there won't be circumstances in life where he might be greatly tempted to much fear. In fact, he goes on 
in the next couple of verses to describe potential scenarios that might lay ahead for him. He describes verse 2, evildoers assailing him, adversaries and foes working against him. Then in verse 3, an army encamp against him and war rise up against him. So he anticipates very real dangers that he may face, that he likely will face in the future. And then he says in verse 3, my heart shall not fear. At the end of verse 3, yet I will be confident. So he doesn't believe that the light, his light, the Lord, his Lord, will prevent every circumstance that might be difficult, that might be dangerous. And friends, that's true of every Christian as well. We will face troubles, big and small, significant suffering, difficulties and danger, smaller, more personal difficulties as well. Friends, we live in a sin-marred world. So we're not to be surprised by the troubles that we'll face. Friends, the longer we live in this world, the more we have seen of suffering, of pain, of sickness, of difficulties and death. Jesus told us, he, he told his disciples that they would face great difficulties, that we will face difficulties in this world. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes I think difficulty, loss in this world is painful, disappointing, sometimes even crushing to Christians because somehow some Christians have gotten the idea that to become a Christian leads into a guarantee of ease and bliss and prosperity. And because we, we think that way, then when difficulties come, we wonder, is it true? Has God forsaken me? Am I unique in that I'm facing difficulties? Do all other Christians ha have a trouble-free life? But friends, that view, the thought that Christianity is a path of, of bliss and ease and prosperity for all throughout life is just simply foreign to the biblical worldview. In fact, the biblical worldview helps us to live in a life that's filled with suffering. Because we understand that God created this world and it was good, but that sin has entered in and marred this creation. There is still much goodness and much common grace in this world. But Christians who understand the scriptures are not shocked by difficulty. We're not stunned when people sin in profound ways. We're not surprised by disease. We're not overcome by death. We understand this world. And we understand that God has not left us alone in this world. That he is with his people in and through it. So therefore we don't despair. So Christians are not to live some joyless, pessimistic outlook. But no, instead we have an enduring, durable hope. Because of our Lord. Because he's our light and our salvation and our stronghold. So we have confidence, not self-confidence. Not based in our own strength, not based in what we have done or our own accomplishments, but based in our Lord. And friends, we who are Christians today have an even fuller picture of God's great salvation than David did. David lived by faith, trusting in his God to save, looking forward to the promise of the Messiah who was to come. But we now look back 
The Messiah, Jesus, has now come. We see a fuller picture of God's grace in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God the Son, came near. God himself near to us. Lived a life of perfection, never sinned. Held up in the face of temptation. Loved and showed compassion and mercy in a way that no one has before. And then finally, he went to the cross and there on the cross to die in the place of sinners like us, a sacrifice for us. He died and was buried and raised on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death and securing this free gift of salvation for any and all who receive it by faith. So if you're a Christian, that is our light. That is our salvation. He is our refuge. He, the great deliverer. And friend, if you're not a Christian, I wonder where you look for refuge. When you're in need of deliverance, in the midst of darkness and difficulty, do you have a place to go for help? We'd love for you to consider Jesus Christ who has uniquely come to provide exactly what we need. So the Christian has confidence, but the confidence is not you can do it. The confidence is not simply try harder. No, the Christian's enduring confidence is our Lord, he has done it. And our Lord will continue to do it and our Lord will complete all that he has said he will do. So friends, we hand into a new year. Where is your confidence in 2022? What are the fears that are at the front of your mind as we head into this new year? So many potential challenges. And what would it look like to live with a durable, unshaking confidence in your Lord who is your light and who is your salvation? Friends, place your confidence in the Lord. But then second, we see, seek the presence of the Lord. Seek the presence of the Lord in verses four through six. David tells us what the focus, the driving desire of his own life is. Look at verse four. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David says, this is the one thing, this is the one thing that he desires to seek after, that is to dwell with the Lord, to gaze, to truly see the beauty of his Lord. Now what does he mean when he says he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord? David could not physically live in the tabernacle. Even as king, his access was limited, inappropriate in some ways. So David here is using poetic language. He's not saying that he functionally wants to live in the tent, the tabernacle throughout his life, but that his deepest desire is to live in close, closer fellowship to know in an increasingly more substantial way the Lord who is his light and who is his salvation. This was the driving ambition of David. And as he speaks of his ambition to know the Lord, he recounts what he trusts that his Lord will do for him, that he will hide him in his shelter in the day of trouble. That the Lord will conceal him, that he will lift him up high upon a rock, that his head shall be lifted up above his enemies. So this is the greatest ambition David has. It's the greatest ambition that any of us can have to know, to truly know the Lord, the Lord who has created us, the Lord who has saved us, the Lord who is with us, the one who is our light and our salvation. 
That's not to say that's to be our only ambition. Christians can have numerous ambitions in this life. It's good and right to glorify God by pursuing godly ambitions. But the central ambition that then allows all other ambitions to, to be rightly handled, to be rightly embraced under this greater ambition to seek and to know, to truly know in increasing ways the Lord. Now, if our ambition is to seek the presence of the Lord, how do we do that today? David said he wants to see the beauty of the Lord. How can we today see the beauty of the Lord? Well, friends, the, the, the clearest, most helpful way to see the beauty of the Lord is through the Scriptures. As we read the Scriptures from beginning to end, they are all ultimately about Christ. So we can see the beauty of the Lord, the many facets of the goodness, the grace, the compassion, the glory of the Lord in the Scriptures. And then particularly see the beauty of Christ our Savior. We, we zero in on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm afraid I come in to you, perhaps this new year, take up one of the Gospels. We're, we'll pick back up this month the, the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 5. So I hope you'll join us as we see the beauty of the Lord as he walks, as he teaches, as he heals, as he loves, as he gives. How do we know the presence of the Lord now? In fact, we graciously from God have so much more than David did. One, related to the previous, we, we have a copy of the scriptures that is really unique in world history. I mean, in David's day, the average person who was a part of the people of God did not have a copy of the scriptures they could carry around. Even around the world today, so many Christians don't have the scriptures in their own heart language, especially not the entire scriptures. And yet probably many of us in our homes have multiple copies. At the very least on our phone, we can access it at any time. Friend, what a gracious gift we have to have the presence of the Lord through the scriptures with us at all times and in all places. And we, we know the presence of the Lord differently than the people of God in David's day and that the, the very Spirit of God now dwells within us. Because Christ has come, because Christ has ascended to the Father, now the Holy Spirit has been sent and He dwells in each and every one of us. That was not true for the average Israelite in David's day. So friends, now the presence is always with you. Wherever you go, God is uniquely in you by the Spirit. So each and every one of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. And there is a way that we are uniquely the temple of the Spirit, God's people together. So God dwells in us individually and in us together. There is something that happens supernaturally when God's people gather, as we sing together, as we pray together, when we hear God's word preached together. In a few moments, when we receive the Lord's Supper together, when we share time with one another afterwards, there's a unique way that God is near to us and we know the presence of the Lord. God has given us these ordinary means, gathering with God's people singing with God's people. It often looks unimpressive. And God is graciously at work in that, and he is uniquely near to us when that is happening. God has given us the ordinary means of, of the scriptures and of praying together. God has promised and typically works through these ordinary means. He has said, yes, I will always speak through my word. 
God, God is always near to us when God's people gather. Sometimes he works beyond those ordinary means. Sometimes that happens in a supernatural way. God sovereignly chooses to engage, but he doesn't promise to do that, and nor are we told to, to pursue that or seek that. He may do that, but simply the way we know God is through these normal, regular rhythms of the Christian life. Friends, we have a gracious Savior who can be known. So how will you seek this year to know your Savior more? To know Christ more in 2022? So let's seek the presence of the Lord together. And then third, we see cry out to the Lord in verses 7 through 12 as David shows us how we can cry out to our Lord, to cry out to the one who is our light and our salvation. Verse 7, he asked the Lord to hear his cries and to again be gracious to him, to again answer him. And he asked the Lord to do what the Lord always does. He asked that the Lord would not turn his face away. He asked that the Lord would not forsake him or cast him off. Others do forsake us in this life. Sometimes even family Closest friends may forsake us, but the Lord, we're told, will always take us in. For your Lord will never forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And because Jesus Christ has come and opened a way for us in this great salvation, and he's now the mediator before the Father, and he intercedes for us, we can pray, we can cry out to the Lord with confidence and with hope. But friends, what we see in the scriptures is that our heavenly father desires us to ask much of him. As children to a father, in prayer, to cry out often. And in the gospels, we see Jesus make these bold, stunning promises. Calling us to ask daring prayers. To ask in faith, to actually ask much in faith. To ask, ask more than most of us would dare even to ask. So friend, let's be quick to cry out to our Lord. And let's be willing to share with others so they might cry out to our Lord for us. It's one of the ways that God works among the people of God as we share burdens with others that they might pray on our behalf. But friends, maybe sometimes you wonder or it feels like your heavenly Father might forsake you. Or that your heavenly father might cast you away. Friends, the good news is that he has promised he will never do that to any of his children. And that includes you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Apostle Paul gives us the same sort of emphasis in Romans chapter 8. Listen to these well-loved verses. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, nothing, no one can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Rest in that. Now, one of the things that David cries out to the Lord, one of the things that he asks of the Lord, look down at verse 11, he says to the Lord, teach me your way, O Lord. This is what David understood that he needed, and it's what we need as well. But how does this happen? How does the Lord typically teach us his way? And the ordinary means of this is through the scriptures, by the Spirit working in us. So it typically happens through taking up and just reading a a portion of the Bible. So let's say you were reading through the book of Psalms, and tomorrow you came to this psalm, to Psalm 27, and you just sat down and maybe read it through slowly a couple of times. And you might just sit and and think about the text and consider, what is it God is saying about himself? What's he teaching us about himself? How is this relevant to me today in particular How might I see the goodness and grace of God in this? So you might be reading and just come to the Lord as my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And you might just repeat that or write it down as a note to take with you throughout the day to meditate on again and again. And then you might pray in light of this. You might just, what I often do is just turn the words of Scripture into a prayer. So you might turn Psalm 27 after you've read it and thought about it, meditate upon it, to then pray it. Or would you help me to see today that you are my light and my salvation? Lord, I am fearful today. Would you help me to have confidence in you? Lord, I pray you'd give me a desire. My desire currently isn't to seek you. Give me that desire. As friends, that's why there's a value of crafting a rhythm of just taking in God's word day by day or as often as possible. It doesn't have to be massive amounts of Scripture, but just reading a small portion day after day. And, and that's why you might think about this new year. Maybe we're thinking about a variety of new patterns for life. One of those might be, what would it look like for me this year to read more of the Bible than last year? And maybe you're someone who's, who's set high goals in the past. You've tried to read, for instance, through the Bible in a year, and you, you know, made it a little ways. You made it through Genesis, maybe. Um, you made it through Exodus, maybe. Uh, and then you just died a slow death in Leviticus. I, I've been there. I think most of us have done that as well. I would just say, try it again. Give it another shot. We, we all, year by year, can make progress. You, you might start in a different portion. You might use a different reading plan. You might just say, I, I just want to read more often than not. That'd be a good goal. If you just said, more days than not, I want to take in a portion of the scriptures. It might be a paragraph. It might be a chapter. It might be multiple chapters. But, but setting a, just a, an aspiration for a rhythm of life. And friend, if you'd like to do that, I'd love to pray for you in that. You can note that on your connection card. Or maybe you say, I don't really know how I would begin to do that. I'd be happy to point you to a variety of reading plans, some that are more ambitious than others, but just a way to start reading. And friend, connected to taking God's word, let us also craft rhythm of asking God in prayer. What would it look like to, to set aside a few moments each day to pray? You may find morning praying to be most fruitful to you. Maybe it's at the end of the day. 
Let me encourage you also to join us as we pray together. Tonight is our first Sunday gathering. We gather the first Sunday evening of each month. So we'll gather at 5 o'clock for an hour. We'll sing together. We'll pray together, meaning that if there was something you would like to be prayed for, you could share that with us. We won't call on you and ask you to pray aloud unless you are prepared and would like to do that. And tonight we'll have one of our members who's serving uh, abroad who will be there to share about some of the work that God is doing uh, in and through her. So I hope you'll join us tonight at 5 o'clock as we pray. So we cry out to the Lord together. And then fourth and finally, wait on the Lord in verse 13 and 14. After David traces his way through this psalm, through the hope of the light and salvation of the Lord, through opposition and armies, enemies threatening him, people lying about him, in verse 13 he says that he believes that he will know and experience more of the goodness of the Lord. And he includes the psalm in verse 14. Look down at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And here, David, he speaks these words to himself. He's telling himself, self, wait. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. And this psalm is for God's people, so it's for all of us. Here David models for us the wise practice of intentionally reminding ourselves of what we are to do. So often our thoughts and our emotions are unreliable. They they run off into very unhelpful places. We get trapped in patterns that are completely untrue, lies that grip us, emotions that overtake us. And so here we see the wisdom of telling ourselves proclaiming to ourselves, we could say preaching to ourselves, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take courage, wait for the Lord. Now waiting, of course, is not easy. It never has been, it never will be. But God's people across the scriptures, across the generations have always been awaiting people. When we wait, we are in good company with God's people. But as you wait, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. Strong in the Lord. Take courage because of who the Lord is. He is your light and your salvation. He is the stronghold of your life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Circumstances while you wait may tempt you to think the Lord might let you down, might tempt you to think the Lord has forsaken you. But be strong, hold fast what you know to be true. He is your Lord. He is your light and your salvation. And we wait, and in time, sometimes in this life, what we wait on is given to us. As we've waited and watched and we've prayed and prayers are answered in times. We do eventually make progress in our fight against indwelling sin, and yet there's always more waiting to be done. And all of us, all God's people, wait until the promised return of Christ. All of us wait together longing for his return, and finally he will come and make all things right. In a moment, we'll receive the Lord's Supper, a means of our waiting. We look back to the work of Christ. We look ahead to his work of his return. So friend, I wonder what you're waiting on today from the Lord. It may be that you're waiting for the salvation of a family member or a friend. You've been longing for, praying for, for years perhaps decades. 
perhaps waiting for a particular need in your life, for job, for a financial struggle, waiting for some specific prayer you've been praying that has continued to go unanswered, waiting as you endure great physical suffering, devastating disease. We as a church have waited and longed for the gospel to spread, for, for people to hear and, and believe. We've waited on a very practical level. We, we've desired a, a different space. We'd have more room. We've waited and we keep waiting. So friend, let's wait individually. Let's wait together as a congregation. Let me encourage you as you wait to talk to yourself. Tell yourself, be strong, take courage, keep waiting on the Lord. And as you wait, remember God's past promises and his faithfulness to sustain us in our current days. We believe and we wait. And friends, because our hope is sure, our trust is in our faithful Lord, Christians can have in this life an enduring, hopeful, realistic optimism. I think Christians in general should be optimistic because of our eternal hope, but not naively optimistic. A realistic optimism, but also hopefully realistic and enduring in that. Friends, we have faced dark days and we will face them again. Who knows what this year holds? But friends, the true light is always bright, but the brightness of the true light is seen most evidently in the darkest of nights. In the greatest storms, that's when the light is most needed. We're in the midst of the greatest danger, that is when a refuge is most appreciated. So with the eyes of faith today, see your Lord as your light. No matter how dark today is, no matter dark this year may be, see your Lord as your rescuer, your deliverer, your refuge. Friend, he is our light and salvation. He has been, he is, and he always will be. And so we wait for him today in hope. We've not yet received what we one day will when Christ returns. And so we wait. And we wait together. We wait with confidence in our light in our salvation.